64 podcast recording Thursday, February 20th, 2014. I've found a pretty cool clip that I want to start the show with. Let me go into Evernote here. This is a video by Miranda. I haven't uh, played clips from Miranda in a while. Uh, but she came up with the with some pretty good again. Well, especially considering that Jessica and I uh, talked about the Kesha and Pitbull video, Timber. So this is uh, her rendition of it with the violin player Lindsay Sterling. Then the next story uh, I had was uh, uh, it, this was about um, the football player Michael Sam who came out as gay before the uh, NFL draft uh, this year. Uh, he played at University of Missouri. He was an outstanding defensive player, and it it seems like he's going to be drafted in uh, in one of the rounds anyway of the uh, of the NFL draft so you know, on the field you know uh, there's a lot of players that go into the NFL and uh, most of their careers are, are pretty short so it's, it remains to be seen you know uh, what mark he'll make on the field but in terms of off the field in the culture he's he is having a a pretty a pretty major effect because people are reacting to it one way or the other and obviously in the 21st century, this shouldn't be an issue, but it probably is. Now, Jason Whitlock, talking to Keith Olbermann here, has some insight on it and the cultural issues surrounding it and where sports fits in social progress these days. I think since the 1960s, there was so much upheaval and just really so much assassination of great leaders that we've had a cultural shift to where standing for things of principle and character and progressive change 
just isn't as important as making as much money as you can in American culture. As the devil's art advocate against that, in, in 1947, obviously there were many reasons in play for the integration of baseball, or reintegration of baseball after 80-some-odd years. But one of them was that Branch Rickey and the Brooklyn Dodgers figured out that this would be a great way to get A, free talent, and B, make more money. So they had to monetize it even then. It wasn't, I mean, we sometimes look back on what happened in the 40s and 50s and how sports led as being some sort of pristine thing that we cannot do now. I, I'm, I'm wondering how you how you think that fits into the, the equation now. They were monetizing it then? Well, I think that in that era of American history, doing the right thing was still also the good financial thing to do. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure in this current era where we are as a culture, doing the right thing a lot of times doesn't make the most money, although I think there will be some financial benefit to the team that embraces Michael Sam. I think his jersey's going to be very popular. I think gay sports fans are going to come out and support this guy in a tremendous way, and I think progressive people are, but I, I just think our culture has gone such a dramatic change from the 50s and 60s. Uh, that, you know, doing the right thing a lot of that just doesn't make as much money as it used to. And um, I don't have uh, I, I don't have uh, a, a very much that I can say to describe this next uh, story, but this is more something to find in the show notes. Uh, there was a big tire fire in Britain. Of course, they spelled the tires there T-Y-R-E. But, uh, well, they burn just the same, I guess. And it just made me think of the Springfield Tire Fire from The Simpsons. So if you want to see the, the link to the Live Leak page that has the video of this big tire fire, I think in Yorkshire, you can find that uh, the show notes, pacificpelican.us slash 64. And then look for Podcast 124 and the uh, show notes. It will include links to some of the stuff that I'm talking about, including Barack Obama going to sign the farm bill. So there was a major agricultural bill that Barack Obama signed. It it doesn't do enough to stimulate the economy, but it stalled even passing. Anyway, the, uh, it, the signing was uh, held in a, I guess a you know pretty good uh, symbolic place for rural America, the 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 farm belt uh, in East Lansing, Michigan, uh, home of Michigan State University. So uh, that was I'm not sure if that was the first visit as president that Obama has made to Michigan State or not. But he did he did talk about the the sports teams there when he while he was visiting. Uh, the governor of Washington has suspended executions uh, or, you know, state-sanctioned murder, as, as I like to call it. Uh, and uh, I, I think that just um, that's just very good news. I think, obviously, they should just abolish the, uh, the so-called death penalty in Washington state. You know, it's a very progressive state, and it, that, would, that would be uh, good to make this change permanent and, you know, stop, you know, stop killing people yeah and and if you know if people have to serve life in prison you, you know that 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 should be available uh to 
judges, but the the useless and expensive and cruel and unusual system of uh, killing people at the hands of the state is is unconscionable and has to stop. So Washington State is is moving in the right direction in that area. With you know, with their Democratic governor making a a bold decision, citing flaws in the system, and uh, you know, uh, it's been abolished in other states recently. So this could just continue the momentum. for a while it kind of comes it goes uh in intensity and it's 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 i would say it's sort of back having another moment and that is the uh well basically the idea of fema camps now if you uh haven't heard uh you know right-wing crazies go on uh about fema camps before Well, the the idea is that, uh, uh, you know, FEMA is one of those big government agencies that uh, sets up temporary housing so you know, for, for disaster victims so people can uh, look at um, what they're doing and say that uh, instead it's for a uh, system of gulags. And it's one of those memes that, that people on the far right uh, are starting to uh, starting to put out there again. Where Scalia has said yesterday, um, uh, you're kidding yourself if you don't think the same thing will not happen again. And he was talking about internment camps in the United States. All throughout our history, we've had the Jim Crows and we've had all this. And so what has happening? Instead of saying, we're not going to be those people, this is the real opportunity that is the most tragic opportunity missed possibly in global history. Think of this. For as bad as you think the president is, for as good as you think the president might be, think of the missed opportunity and tell me there's a bigger missed opportunity in all of world history. This president could have come up and united the entire country and said... You know what? Okay, you that era is over. And we're not like that. Pizza. We're not like that. And Americans aren't like that. Look at the growth we've made. He could have united all of us. Instead, he started the old division. And, and you see it with Holder. What they've done is they're trying to punish their enemies. Anybody who they think was part of it, anybody who is they think still carries that kind of stuff, they're going to punish all those institutions and all of those people instead of being instead of taking the road Christ would take. I mean, it's really, truly an amazing missed opportunity. Oh, come on. This but is our founders precious. knew that we're going to do this over and over again. And it's, and it's not just the blacks. It was to the Indians. We did it. Why? Manifest destiny. Because we, it was a group of people who said, we know we're right. Global warming sound familiar? We know we're right. And if you're standing in the way, you're standing in the way of manifest destiny. Uh, sound familiar? Obamacare. We know we're right. And if you don't 
You're standing in the way of progress. Sound familiar? Sound like um, abortion advocates? We know we're right, and if and if you don't agree with us, there's no place for you in this state. That's why Scalia is saying it's gonna happen again. It's gonna happen again. It's a joke. It's a fucking joke. It's a Well, it appears that Microsoft was uh, paying people to shill for Xbox on YouTube. Well, the story that came out, and I'm reading about it here um, in uh, Tech Radar. It's published January 21st of uh, this year. The headline is Microsoft. Machinima downplay paying YouTubers for glowing Xbox One plugs, unquote. Well, what they're talking about is a network of YouTube game reviewers or uh, YouTube content creators of whatever sort that discuss gaming. Uh, some of them are on these uh, networks connected to gaming sites and Machinima it turns out was receiving money and, and they were calling it a marketing partnership you know and it makes sense but it definitely is worth pointing out that there's a lot of shills on YouTube and people are being bought and sold uh, very frequently on that, on that site. Well, that's the tune that's uh, become well-known on the internet as uh, Epic Sax, or, you know, the song played by the Epic Sax guy. is actually uh, from a song entered into a contest by the team from Moldova in Europe uh, a few years ago. Yeah, Moldova is a country that's kind of... Uh, down in there between Ukraine and Romania, um, kind of looking out over the Black Sea from where the Olympics uh, currently are in Sochi. Uh, Moldova doesn't appear to really have much or any coast, but uh, it goes right up to the uh, edge of uh, Ukraine where there's a, a good bit of Black Sea uh, coastland. And Moldova is w one of those... Um, small countries that is uh, uh, formerly part of the 
you know, old uh, Soviet bloc. And I don't know uh, a lot about uh, their music scene there, but these uh, performers were very entertaining, very talented. And uh, it's not easy to play a saxophone well. Now, I mean, this is a part in a song, you know, that people have like looped. There's a version of it on YouTube that's uh, 10 hours of epic sax guy or something like that. And, you know, I mean, it, it, it does have a sort of hypnotic uh, melody to it, uh, you know, simple, but effective. And with a saxophone, I mean, it's not easy to make one of those things sound good. Uh, as someone who played for just a couple of years in grade school, one of those grade school band type things, I, I, I uh, have a great appreciation for anyone who can play the thing well. It's a very strange instrument. My sister, uh, Katie, she uh, picked it up after me, and she could play it well. That's Morrissey. Well, the lead singer of the Smiths and then uh, a notable uh, solo artist in his own right, uh, Morrissey uh, is now also uh, an author. He has a book called Autobiography and it goes all the way from his uh, childhood and his attendance at strict, grim, hopeless, and not terribly edifying uh, Catholic schools in Manchester. Talks about growing up in the North. And he talks about as he became a teenager uh, hanging around the music scene bands would come and go through manchester or uh, areas around there and he would uh hang out backstage he would talk to artists and then he said at one point after a while he decided he, he wanted to be the person uh putting on the show and after a while after talking to different musical contacts uh he eventually got in touch with Johnny Marr, and then the other band members were added, and uh, that included drummer Mike Joyce and bass player Andy Rourke. And actually, late in the Smiths, there was a uh, apparently a touring guitarist added. I'd never even heard of him, and I, I, I'm a Smiths fan. Well, Apparently that guy didn't amount to much, at least in Morrissey's opinion, and it didn't seem like he had much influence. He, uh, Morrissey basically, like in the in in the book, he claims that he couldn't even tell that uh, how that guy was helping Johnny Marr at all, even though you know, of course, a guitarist uh, that's the only guitar player in the band is often going to want a, a touring uh, rhythm guitar player or you know someone to to complement what they're what they're doing on the road. Well, I talked about how I'm a Smiths fan. I've been a Smiths fan since around 
Oh, around 1997, because I would say it coincided with when his album Maladjusted came out. And I remember, because I was really into the Smiths, this was like, this was around when I was a freshman in college. I, I, I was a big fan. I had read about them in some music magazine, Rolling Stone or something, and I, I just decided uh, to listen to one of their albums, and then I started buying them one after another. I gotta say, uh, I, I became a really big fan, and... In the book, Morrissey talks about Strange Ways Here We Come as the crowning achievement, the masterpiece of the band. And I always thought it was an ambitious but flawed uh, kind of uh, um, overshot. I don't know. I, that's not the right way to put it, but it certainly has some truly great songs on it. Uh, and and uh, he talks about how the band broke up after that. Kind of surprisingly, uh, they were signing papers after the album or something, and they they just broke up. Like I don't know. It sounds like he talks about like something that happened, and that um, uh, it, it, of course it's something that a lot of people want to undo. That's that's something that's talked about a great deal. When are the Smiths going to get back together? But some real clues are, are in this book about why that all never happened. One is that he talks about how the people out in Fresno and in Chicago and all sorts of places are, well, he talks about the, his type of people, his fans will show up and they'll crowd an area and it might even be different than the way that neighborhood looks normally. And it'll happen in, in cities and, the middle of America and it'll, it'll happen in other countries. And, and he, he talks about, you know, when, when, when his concerts go well, how, how, uh, you know, how cool that is. Uh, and he also talks about how he, uh, he, he walks out of concerts sometimes and cancels because if he doesn't feel up to it, he, he can't do it. And, you know, that, that's been a controversy, I think at times in his solo career. I know in the last year or two, he had, a number of dates uh, postponed or canceled uh, and it's happened before but uh, the demands of of uh, traveling are extraordinary when you get to that kind of level so I can imagine it being pretty uh, you know pretty demanding and then and then it talks about some places there's just no sound or the sound is blowing away or something and it just doesn't work um, you know so I know there's a lot of difficulties with the with with uh with touring and uh the early uh tours in his solo career are something where he talks about how there was a sort of a i don't know beatlemania type atmosphere in some of the some of the places he went in the u.s and how the british press seems to make um make a point out of ignoring what happens and how popular he gets in other places especially the u.s and over the years, uh, he's split time uh, uh, branching out from uh, nor his northern England and then London uh, uh, base of, of the Smiths days up to uh, L.A. and to Rome and uh, other places. Uh, well, Italy, and I, th I think Rome is, uh, you know, I mean, he, start yeah, he certainly mentions that place as being one, you know, one of the places there uh, that he likes. and. So, you know, he he uh, he gets some inspiration. You can kind of hear in some of his songs from some of that. And, you know, he weaves the songs back into the 
the book a great deal. And so he's he's making these quotes where he's just saying something, but if you've listened to his music, you you might recognize the the reference. And of course, I, I have to think it's very possible that I missed some of those references. Uh, now, when I look at the the notes uh, early on, he talks about um, his upbringing. Quote: Battling against the school mastery dullness of detestable poverty. We Irish Catholics know very well how raucous happiness displeases God, so there is much evidence of guilt in all we say and do. But nonetheless, it is said and done. From the John Peel session, the Smith song, Reel Around the Fountain. One of the things Morrissey mentions in his autobiography is actually that John Peel didn't seem to be interested in showing up to the recording sessions that were done for the show in his name. And uh, I alluded earlier to uh, you know, the, the fact that Morrissey is, you know, he seems pleased with his solo career, especially the kind of, uh, uh, late, latest wave of it from, uh, say like 2004 to 2009, which was a, a period that saw him release, uh, some albums that he had very high praise for. He, he had, uh, uh, mixed things to say about his early al albums. Uh, you know, I am, Every Day is Like Sunday, I played before, is a, definitely a classic from his solo debut, Viva Hate. Um, he was still working with some of the Smiths musicians and stuff, and he was still trying to find the band he wanted as he went through and made a Bona Drag and Kill Uncle, which I think maybe uh, were kind of steps sideways. And, and then with Your Arsenal and Vauxhall and I, um, you know, he started probably finding... Uh, his solo style and a little more and and uh the right set of musicians and producers to work with uh but then the big event that happened in the mid 90s around 95 that i don't know seemed to kind of uh have have a lot of effects on him uh including his uh solo career uh i mean kind of demarcating a clear line in the middle um be, because i mean later he you know he had uh ringleader of the tormentors in 2006 uh years of refusal in 2009 and before that uh you are the quarry which was uh, around 2004 and uh so so uh i think he considered those very successful and they they certainly had uh uh some good songs on them This song is one that he quotes also in the book. Irish blood, Irish heart, the 
his uh, well-documented uh, uh, insistence. Uh, he, you know, uh, he talks in the book about his his vegetarianism, and it's a it's a very important uh, belief of his, and it certainly seems sincere. And he talks about uh, uh, helping stray animals and stuff like that too. Uh, he seems like a you know a very sensitive person uh, who, who cares about uh, uh, animals and their well being, and he's willing to be rude to uh, people to make his point, and that's. You know, that's something that is certainly a sign of uh, very strong convictions in, in that area. When uh, he uh, had his tours for his uh, albums, his, his last handful of albums, uh, I, I think, I think like, like uh, he talked about how people, people would know some of the some of the songs that he had done, they had sort of become like, you know, anthems, uh, widely, you know, sung and the lyrics well known. And this is one of those that certainly fits into that type of uh, category. I definitely think that the Smiths have a uh, a place in music history as one of the greatest bands of all time. And there, I think their acclaim is has been growing in the U.S. And I think that I, I, I'm I'm guessing that uh, a bigger percent of college students these days listen to them than when I was in college. But I don't know. And I certainly uh, introduced them to a lot of my friends and stuff. I mean, they weren't you know, really that well known then. And maybe they were, you know, especially like the Morrissey solo career, you know, there, they, they it was just, uh, you know, maybe, maybe not the typical music, uh, uh, and, and the Midwestern campuses when, uh, bare naked ladies and Dave Matthews band, uh, and that kind of stuff, uh, you know, basically it was, really popular at that time it's so at some point you just you know uh but uh, the uh a lot of people actually uh you know um a number of my friends started listening to this mess because i was uh, telling them about it uh, uh and morrissey solo stuff uh was was you know was was kind of you know going along and and again, it was it was temporarily derailed, uh, maybe you could say. But then, uh, I mean, he did have the album Maladjusted in '97, uh, but uh, he he he, you know, for a while, you know, he seemed to kind of uh, step, you know, out of the the spotlight. And so, you know, his his in the last ten years, you know, having a lot of, you know, uh, su success with uh, recording and with touring is, you know, is cool because. Uh, in that same period, I think a lot of bands that were influenced by him started becoming popular. And I think it's one of those things that's just out there. Like, um, 
kind of hard to trace at this point even like the way that uh the influence of legendary bands uh like the rolling stones or the beatles uh or, or you go back further you know the um i mean you know chuck berry james brown uh you know like the the their influence is so uh massive on modern music it's it's passed through a lot of different other artists in you know to uh current artists i think in in a lot of ways um and and the smiths uh for uh for bands that are playing rock music uh, i think there there's there's a, a lot of them that are that that are listeners to them and so seeing how much money was in it uh the drummer mike joyce decided to get himself involved in a lawsuit that ended up uh well ended up costing morrissey a lot of money uh morrissey and johnny marr although the apparently the way he writes about the trial was was really directed at him it was about him but uh either way he he certainly has uh contemptful words for the judge and he he he's he thought that the whole the whole uh uh smith's trial as he calls it was a farce but the split that uh morrissey uh claimed was uh well understood and well established throughout the whole life of the band uh from the early 80s to the late 80s or whatever you know um was uh morrissey and uh the guitar player and uh song uh, co-writer johnny marr would each get 40 percent um of the band's cut with mike joyce and andy rourke the drummer and bass player getting 10 percent and 10 percent now uh, apparently rourke took a settlement uh go uh going in but the but mike joyce uh took it to trial and so there's um it's basically still a bitter dispute that could not really i i, I don't think i can't imagine be overcome because joyce sued Morrissey and Mar, but you know, uh, it, it was, it, 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 uh, undid the way the business, uh, had been conducted. So it cost Morrissey a lot of money. And he, uh, mentions that, uh, Joyce's lawyers tried to take his mom's house. Uh, but I mean, they were seizing his assets and they were able to do that because of the court judgment. And, uh, so it certainly created the kind of scenario where, an actual reunion of the band, although Morrissey claims that Joyce has expressed interest since then, <laughs> you know, it, it just, it's just pretty hard to imagine. Uh, I certainly bands have, uh, have broken up in acrimony, but this, this was a number of years later and a big chunk of the book is dedicated to it, but it does go away to explaining what, uh, Morrissey was dealing with in the late nineties and early zeros, basically a lot of the fa- uh, fallout of that, uh, trial, and uh you know uh after that you know his music uh um you know it, it came back and you know he had a different label and uh he was able to write with uh I, I would say a different perspective and i think that uh uh you know he's still at a point where uh he could do a lot of interesting things as an artist
Well, uh, part of uh, the early part of the book, Morrissey talks a good bit about the popular culture that influenced him. And uh, uh, here's one quote. Television is the only place where we banish ourselves from the community of the living and where the superficial provides more virtue than the actual, unquote. And um, this... Uh, the, this There's, there's a... Um, discussion about Georgie Best, who is a legendary uh, football or aka soccer player in Britain. And I think that's one of his role models, maybe, because uh, he expanded, quote, best diversified the image of the football player, unquote. So, you know, I guess he, I guess uh, maybe Morrissey sees himself as someone who would expand the, uh, what people think of as a uh, rock and roll band uh, lead singer. Quote, Catholicism has you tracked and trailed for life with an overwhelming sense of self-doubt, and every church turns with painful pews and mourners' stalls. Unquote. Quote, In their God-fearing, chanting morality, the teachers of St. Mary's only managed to convey nihilism and limericks. Unquote. see ends the book in chicago i'll uh let you read about the scene if you want uh, uh i'll have a link in the show notes uh to the kindle version uh which is the version i read but i think it's available in other uh formats uh probably print and uh ibooks and stuff and another quote uh Like a bull in a Spanish bullring, I look both left and right for clarity. Unquote. And uh, he talks about uh, local birds and uh, how he spends his time in one neighborhood uh, rescuing ones that have been attacked by neighborhood animals. Uh, this is something that I'm I mentioned in uh, Twitter, this is a good uh, quote. The actor Tom Hanks comes backstage to say hello, but I don't know who he is, and neither does anyone around me. I just think that's a cool quote. And, you know, good crowd he's hanging out with there. He talks about Los Angeles. Uh, quote, whereas in Los Angeles, 
A sickbed politeness permeates all conversation, unquote. Uh, I talked about living next to Johnny Depp, although I don't think he talked to him at all. And uh, there's a quote. Uh, like a team of horses, they canter through the 70s, 80s, 90s, and beyond. For that is where we are now, in the beyond. And uh, there's a there's a pretty amusing quote here. Uh, there are, of course, no modern poets in the swill bucket of British poetry, where even the most savage denizen of the deep can become poet laureate. Thank you. 
Uh-huh. And this is a recording. <laughs> 